Welcome to the IT Experience Podcast. This is a podcast for those who are interested in IT experience management in large enterprises. If you use ServiceNow or other enterprise service management system to provide services to employees, then this is for you. Brought to you by Happy Signals. More smiles, less time wasted. At Happy Signals, we talk a lot about people versus process and technology. But I think the guest of this episode, Lauren Kelly, really explains why understanding people and their behaviors is important to IT teams as well. So, Sakari, you you had a chat with with Lauren. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how did you first hear about her and uh, what did you talk about? Well, I came across Lauren's name in the first time in a social feed, and I saw that she was going to launch a library of behavioral patterns. And I thought, well, tell me more. So I looked at her profile and then reached out to her. And Lauren Kelly describes herself as the first behavior thinker, decodes the people puzzle and changes behavior. It's exactly what we want to do at Happy Signals as well and with our tool for the IT organizations. So Lauren is an expert in behavioral sciences and has been working on developing behavioral thinking practices for real impact in organizations. And when you listen to this episode, you will find out why we really need to understand people, not just on the surface, but in a fundamental way. And that's where the behavioral sciences can help our understanding. We will also find out what we already know, at least on some level, that people are irrational. So we might think we understand people, but do we really? So listen to the episode and you will find out also about the intention and action gap. People don't always do the things that they intend to do. And Lauren will go a little bit into detail what this means for organizations and how behavioral sciences can help. Yeah, this sounds really good. Can't wait to hear this one. So let's go. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's very, very good to be here. Uh, hi, I'm Lauren. Uh, I run a company called Behave. What does Behave do? We are a behavior innovation company where we put behavioral science to action. So what does that look like? Well, I craft work-ready tools that translates behavioral science into an impact or an action-based piece. And I also teach people. I teach a lot of people around how to use behavioral science in a way that focuses around understanding people, decoding the people puzzle, but also putting it to action and kind of like using it in our everyday workflow and everyday processes. So what is behavior thinking? I think this is another question. I say I'm the first behavior thinker. What is behavior thinking? So behavior thinking is my, my kind of stab at the future of where innovation is going. I saw this pattern quite a while ago as I was working that behavioral science is increasingly being used within businesses and within design and within the policy space. But I actually really believe it's one of those fundamental kind of things to the success of future businesses, how people work inside, inside a company, what people are doing when they're using your products and when you're using your features. So behavior thinking is the premise that Every single person can use behavior, behavioral science to not only understand themselves and other people better, but they can change either their own behavior or the behavior of those around them. So I believe that if you, if every single person within an organization understands behavior just a little bit more, they themselves have this massive overall gain on what a business is doing in terms of its output, but also the health of a business, how happy the workplace is, for example. And that notion is behavior thinking. So it's how do we use behavioral science that doesn't require the academic study of going off and, and using and kind of acquiring all the knowledge through degrees? And how do we actually kind of like put it for the reality of the everyday workplace? So um, yeah, I'm very pleased to be here to kind of share that with you today. <laughs> Well, it's really exciting because as Happy Signals is working with 
large enterprise IT organizations. Uh, there are a lot of different framework uh, frameworks and different ways of thinking. And the question that keeps coming back among our prospects and our customers is, okay, that sounds great in theory, but how do we put it into practice? So that's actually the reason why I invited you to the podcast, because I think that behavior change is a central part of IT services, as you might have hundreds of service desk agents that need to service tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, and they need to do it in a way that will create value for those employees with the digital tools that they're using. And the way that it's traditionally been run has been very much within processes, within technical metrics, with very little regard for how those end users perceive the technology and whether or not it actually helps them be more productive and happier at work. So I understand that you work with uh, companies and it's a common question that, okay, so it's a nice concept, but how do we actually see impact and how do we scale this across our organization? Yeah, like you said, it's one of those big, it's one of those big last, uh, last kind of like revealed answers, right? How do we look at behavior, which we know is complex, we know is hard to understand, we very much have a very little understanding of ourselves, let alone all the other people we're kind of around us and all the people we're designing for. We also have a lot of behaviors hidden, right? It's a very personal experience, it's very much hidden within the individual. So how do we start revealing those hidden unknowns? And how do we start kind of decoding the complexity of behavior so that we can take it to the table in a way that it, it can be viewed as kind of an impact piece as opposed to this nice to have? And I think what's important is to kind of approach that problem in two ways. And these are the two fundamentals that I myself approach a problem. One is to understand people, right? Really understand people. I mean, I quip it as decoding the people puzzle because people are a puzzle, right? They are, they are who they are, but we have to understand fundamentally who they are and what they're doing and why they're doing it. Now, luckily for us, there's a whole academic field called behavioral science that does that. It looks at what people do and why and the way they think and the way they feel. So we can therefore start dipping into the behavioral science sphere to kind of start bringing out these insights and bringing out these key fundamentals of who people are. And when you start doing that, there starts to be these rules that start to kind of emerge about behavior. Uh, one is unfortunately, people are irrational. Uh, we don't make the best decisions. We know this, if anyone's ever tried to go to the gym on uh, January 1st, having had a very fun <laughs> Christmas period, uh, we know that those decisions kind of get delayed. We know that we're really bad at making decisions ourselves. We only have to look at our retirement fund and our saving practices and the things we eat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just, that isn't even accounting for business decisions. You know, there's real big value-based decisions that we're doing. So if we're irrational and a lot of the decisions we're making are driven by these are kind of like irrational systems that are contained within ourselves, primarily the way that we think and the way we're making decisions, it therefore starts to bring in uh, a couple of other two rules. One, because we're irrational, we think we understand other people, but we don't. It's one of the main biases that we hold within us. So we think and we, we make a lot of assumptions about what people are doing and why. For the most part, behavioral scientists know a lot of those are wrong and a lot of those are incorrect. And that's a very hard thing to kind of introduce to people just to say, hey, so you think, yeah, you think you know yourself and you think you know others, but boy, do you not? And here's why. That's always a hard conversation to have, right? So Cognitive bias and heuristics, i.e. the shortcuts that we use to make decisions, 
a lot of the time are good for us. You know, they they help us make decisions quickly, but a lot of the time they also work against us because they make us make judgment errors and mistakes in our decision making, which compound when you're looking in the business environment. So we're irrational. We're not very aware that we're irrational, which is actually really worrying. The other third thing that we know from behavioral science space is we're highly influenced. And we're influenced on a lot of different layers of influence, right? So I always call it the ripple effect of influence. We are a byproduct of our environment. I think there's that quip that you are, you know, you're you're the product of the five nearest people you talk to. Yes, that's behavioral science in action. In fact, it's a little bit more complex than that. But, you know, let's just look at the five. So people influence us, our direct, our direct loved ones our colleagues, the system and the culture in which we're working in. Also, our environment influences us. You know, if I said to you at the start of the workday, hey, are you going to eat well today? And you're like, yeah, I've totally got to eat well today. And it's someone's birthday and they've brought in a triple stack chocolate cake into the kitchen and the whole <laughs> office gets emailed to go and grab a slice of cake. The, the hard fact is you're probably already out of your chair and in the kitchen and eating the cake. So there is these, we, you know, that's influencing action and it goes against really what the fundamentals of what you chose to do at the start of the day. And I think the fourth one is um, the one that we always look as, as behavior change practitioners is intention, the intention and action gap, right? What people intend to do and what they end up doing. And but we know this, like HR professionals know this, anyone working on a team know this. You all set out the kind of like the, the priorities for the week, for the day, you know, the day, the month, et cetera. And then things just go awry and everything ends up in different places anyway. So intention can start well and means well, but can kind of stop before we get to the end action phase. And this little bucket here, this little like bounce between these two is where I sit. So that's where behavior change starts to come in. So if we've started to understand all the irrationalities and the complexities and the joys of, of, of people with all their complexity and color, how do we then start transitioning that to transitioning the insight from behavioral science to causing behavior change within the workplace or causing behavior change within a product or causing behavior change within a business, you know, whichever optics you're looking at. That translation is where you start seeing people like myself who have a background in more kind of problem solving. So my background is design as well as it is behavioral science. And we, we as behavior change practitioners are a little bit more cross-disciplinary in terms of applied frameworks, applied working. So we've started to, in effect, distill and curate the behavioral science and structuring it for work so that we can start putting it in front of people, whether it's a team, whether it's a team leader, whether it's a new, like the sales team or the marketing team, and we can start putting tools in front of them so they can start understanding and doing behavior change without having to go off and do 10 years of studying in, in the behavioral sciences space. And what we know about behavior change is there's a couple of rules of behavior change. One, behavior change is visible, right? It, in fact, it works better when it is visible. It's not done to people, it's done with people. So when you have people on board, one, they are more likely to change their behavior. Obviously, we know this. When people feel in control and they have the autonomy, they're much more self-motivated to do the things that you're telling them to. 
But also all the sci all scientific studies show that by telling people, actually they still go off and change behavior. So it's kind of counterintuitive to how we think would happen that we, we have to hide it so that otherwise if they know what we're doing, they won't do it. Actually the opposite is true. People feel happier, they feel more rewarded and more engaged in the behavior change process. So we do it with people, not two people is rule number one of behavior change. Rule number two of behavior change, uh, behavior change, because it's kind of reacting to this kind of complex understanding of people, we therefore th need to start thinking on specific layers. And there's a model that I use called me, we, oversee. And all of that kind of ripple and sea of change I talked about in understanding people, this is where we're starting to translate it to how can I, as a team leader or a team member or a designer or strategist, how can I start looking for these layers of influence? How can I start asking the right questions? How can I kind of bring that awareness to the surface? So one of the main tools that I use is called Me We Oversee. And it's looking, it's, it's, it's kind of like action forward thinking about what are those three layers that are informing and influencing each other? Well, first is me, you know, obviously the individual is strong in any behavior. We are all, we all take part in behavior and behavior change practices. So the individual becomes very important. So it's kind of that user generated kind of drivers of what we're doing, right? Identity, emotions, our habits, our motivations, our goals, all the kind of language that we're very used to in business. They sit at the me layer. But we also sit at the social layer at we. So we is when we're starting, you know, I mentioned about the cake, uh, talking about your colleagues going to get different cakes. This is where we start looking at our social interactions and how they are, they themselves become primers of our behavior. And we'll know this if you're in organizations because everyone will go on team building exercises and people will talk about forming and norming and storming in teams if it's a language you've ever worked with any marketing uh, management consultants. But what we do as behavior change practitioners is we can start to say, well, if the me layer shows that we want to do a behavior, but it's not happening, maybe the social context is kind of pointing to different places. And maybe actually what mm. we'd be doing is supporting the individual by looking at their social environment or looking at the social influences or triggers or cues and those kind of words are us behavior people like to use. So we can start looking at, for example, the design of the canteen to encourage people to eat better. Now, they already wanted to because we asked them on Monday. So now we're looking on by Friday. How do we structure, for example, what's in the fridge and how, how we eat as a collective to support that behavior? So now we're starting to transition to the last layer, which I call the overseas. So the overseas are our physical environment. So these are kind of the things that we use, the things that are around us, the opportunities that are on the horizon that are for us to act or not act. So now we're starting to look outside to the context generated triggers. And these are the things that us as businesses both have to be aware of what's happening outside of the business so that we can kind of look to kind of bring the behaviors in in a way that complements what's happening. But also, how do we kind of mitigate and limit the kind of construction that we have? So good ones like COVID for an overseas factor, you know, COVID came and blew up all of our entire worlds. But, you know, as businesses, we would, it forced us to look outside and go, OK, there is stuff that happens in the world that has an influence on our behavior. So now we need to bring that to the table as well. So three layers thinking is really helpful when you're looking at any problem because it helps you, one, look outside the user. 
to the social context and it helps you look out at the social social context to those kind of real world things that are happening outside that could be having an impact on how people are feeling and how they're kind of what they're doing and why so I use this one um, a lot with teams actually and uh, the one that comes out as as the one that people tend to forget about most is kind of the social layer the we layer so if the general last tip I have is if you notice that behavior is not not working the way that you hoped it would you might have a blind spot on the kind of like the social influences the we factors you know groups group identity social norms expectations what groups are saying and who's kind of leading those groups that might be your blind spot so that that's where I would start usually with an organization is looking at social influences on behavior any questions because I appreciate that I've just dived you into behavioral science 101 <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's really really interesting because uh when there's a, several things that I actually want to get back to and one of them is the um you talk about influence and you talk about intention and you talk about incentives mm -hmm. and also about the system and the culture. So when we, for example, look at uh, some of these IT service providers that are working with multiple different clients and they just have to, they might have some of the biggest ones have 500,000 employees uh, that are working for them. Not all of them in the service desk roles, but across the board. And what's quite uh, typical for them is that different metrics govern what good work looks like mm -hmm. for the agents that are working in the junior positions. So when I'm thinking about the layers then of the me, we, and the oversee, there might be the individuals coming in and thinking they have these lofty goals of becoming more end-user centric, providing a great service. But then they see that the, on the we level, team members that get promoted are the ones who are sort of following slavishly certain metrics. They're meeting that target, but they're ignoring that one. So they're learning from the environment what works in their own interest if they want to proceed within the organization. And when we asked um, in our IT experience management group on LinkedIn uh, some time ago, what's the biggest challenge for ITXM in enterprises? There was two things that stood out. One of them was convincing other stakeholders that it's worth doing yeah. because it is going against what has traditionally been done. And the second one was definition of metrics. Because I think that many of these leaders that are sitting in and thinking about how can we improve our, our services are thinking, what are the metrics that will drive the correct behavior? How do those metrics then create incentives, whether they're punitive or they're rewarding? So any, any thoughts about how metrics within uh, system, systems and cultures influence the behaviors that are being observed? So, I mean, metrics of behavior made real, right? They're the observed mm. end function of what is happening. So in terms of behavior change or as a behavior change person, metrics are kind of my gold, right? But metrics <laughs> only really show what has happened. Therefore, we have to mm. almost work back and start understanding to unpick it. Now, if you kind of like view something like we, we oversee, right? I said it kind of brings those layers that you can break down influence for. But in terms of translating those to metrics, they start to almost pip out two different types of metrics that we should be looking at. 
And one is the signals of behavior and one is the settings of behavior. So the signals, they're the things that obviously, you know, I said how it happens inside of us. So we can only really make assumptions about them. You know, if I see someone go and pick up a cookie, is it because they're hungry, which is an individual primer? Or are they are they doing it because their friend went to the kitchen and got cookies, which is a social influence? Right. So you've got this two two sided story to a one metric kind of thing. So therefore, if we're looking at these external representations of what are happening, the, or I like to call them the observable hidden unknowns, they're the signals. They give us clues of what might be what might not be happening. Setting, therefore, becomes kind of like the understanding to try and figure out the context of what is happening. So our setting is our context piece. So it's starting to include the kind of like the building the story. So we're moving the story from black and white to color. So we're trying to understand why someone did the signal in terms of the setting. Now, if you're doing it internally within your teams, you will, you will kind of be doing this anyway, right? Because you'll be looking at kind of the measures of good behavior. So it might be things like turning up on time. It might be submitting the right number of, of kind of like submits of over the hour, et cetera, et cetera. The, the challenge that you have when you start looking at behavior is that there, it's almost like you're measuring the wrong thing. Because what you're doing is you're measuring the end observable actions, right? They, it, it, it has already happened. And we don't really understand what is happening or why. And it certainly doesn't allow for kind of that complexity that life is messy and people are complex and also people are irrational. So it doesn't, it doesn't have the why. So there therefore becomes this, this kind of argument that we need to start looking at how we shift, how we're looking for behavior and how we're measuring behavior. So if you're kind of going along the kind of argument of qualitative and quantitative measures, so uh, qualitative, i.e. the story around and quantitative, the, the ones and twos, the kind of data of what is happening. And you amplify both of those with this understanding that we have around behavior and changing behavior. It allows us to ask different questions and ask different conversations. So in terms of the qualitative measure, they're the signals and settings that I'm talking about, but we can also look over the cascade of forming behaviors. So behavior isn't one and zero, we know this, it takes time, it's a scale of readiness. So we can start then looking for how is behavior starting to form within an organization? And is the, me is the measure that we have actually an outcome? And does it not actually represent those stages of change that we're kind of seeing within teams, we're seeing within new team members, seeing within kind of like new departments, et cetera, et cetera. So we can start therefore breaking down the creation of behavior into specific steps, which is also another use, useful thing that you, you see emerging in the behavioral science space. I equip these as direct shift and action. So what are the underlying things that kind of direct who we are and our social groups, but actually they're not really primed yet to have an influence on what we do until we hit a shift moment and the shift is when the un the un kind of unbubbling influence there's undefined things of what we do and why become active right so something's changed they're called upon something has been triggered and now we started to translate translate that into action and action is the you know the habits and the the routines, the things we're seeing, the groups we're taking part of, where we're putting our voice and how we're kind of expressing ourselves. So action in this context is, is kind of the metrics that we're, we're currently observing within our teams, right? They're the clicks of do's or don't. But therefore we're negating, we're forgetting about the other layers of forming behavior that we should be looking at within our teams. You know, direct, for example, what is the underlying happiness of a team? 
Shifts could be what is changing for these teams? What's coming up on the horizon in terms of deadlines? How are they merging with another team? Are they reliant on other stakeholders? And what influence is the stakeholders having on this team and the individuals? And therefore, we can start looking at these as signals. This is where the signals come in of what is changing for people's behavior and why. So as well as looking at the three levels of influence, we are now starting to look at the three layers of changing behavior or behavior readiness, as I call it. And you can basically, if you overlap those, you get nine factors, it's called the drive grid. I'll link to it because there isn't enough time to go into this, but you can use that as a premise or kind of like the, the underlying conversation for let's change how we're looking at metrics from a human factors point. So shifting from KPIs to human factor KPIs around signals of behavior. And we can measure and monitor those signals because we can see when they're starting to pop up. And it gives us that early indication of whether things are going well or whether things are kind of going awry. So we can start using signals as kind of like those red flags um, before we get to the point where, for example, the best person on your team has left because they're very much annoyed because things aren't going the right way that they, they said they were going. And you can do that across a, uh, an organization because as soon as you start thinking around signals of behavior, or we start looking at patterns and you can start grouping them into patterns that you're seeing across an organization. And as soon as you start documenting patterns, you can almost see waves of influence before they have an impact on the bottom line. And therefore, if you can see, you can do, and we can start changing behavior because we know we've got a target. And that's what that's what I do. I mean, that's just that's qualitative. There's also quantitative. Um, I don't think we've got time to go into it. I'll also link to FIT because I think it's another very useful framework for you that I don't talk about, but I'm starting to talk about. But it's starting to say, OK, uh, we haven't really got time to go off and do a load of quantitative kind of research. What is what is the data points, the raw data points that we can use and how do we identify behavior within those? And that's frequency, intensity and timescale. But I'll link to it because we've only got 15 minutes today. <laughs> no problem. I think we can uh, stretch this a little bit because there is something that you mentioned that is very, very interesting. And I'm, um, for the listeners, Lauren is not so familiar with how, for example, happy signals differs from other um, um, approaches of measuring um, the quality and the impact of IT services on business. And Happy Signals is based on the premise that humans are the best sensors. So you could be measuring process efficiency, you could be measuring device or lab uh, application or network uh, performance, but in the end, because IT services are meant to support the employees in the enterprise, those humans if they are not happy with the technology, their perception will indicate, like you said, yeah, I love what you said about it's an early warning, sort of a red flag. And I'm wondering what your thought is about, uh, is, are the is the perceived reality by the employees within an organization, for example, with how happy they are with the IT services, tools, and different touch points, and also their perceived reality of how much time they felt they lost due to technology technology problems. How would you how do you see sort of the perceived reality versus the measured reality, which would be those objective measures from devices and other technology touch points? Okay, perceived reality. Welcome to behavioral science is complex. We know <laughs> this, and we know this because of this. Right, I can do something for forty minutes, 
The metric is I've done it for 40 minutes. Now, my perceived reality, if you said to people, how long was that? Time dilation means that um, it really depends. It depends on whether I was in a flow state. It depends whether I was enjoying it. It depends on if I was people I loved or people I hated. You know, 40 minutes doing my tax return is very different to 40 minutes playing with my nephew. So I think this is the perceptual reality versus the, the kind of quantified reality. And it's the struggle that we have because technology allowed us to kind of collect data points, right? But technology as it stands isn't, isn't very good without the kind of human feedback of understanding the complexity of what was happening in that moment. So this is why qual and quant are always fundamental to understanding any problem, right? Because we have the what, but actually we need to understand the why. Behavioral science can help on both levels, right? Because the what changes when, you're, when you ask the question, okay, is this an observed outcome of a behavior or is this a function of the behavior that we're observing? And the quality, the, the quant, um, <laughs> the qualitative can ask us what is what is the theories, what is the insights that we can attach to this so we can understand the why it is happening, right? So we've kind of been exploring both when we've kind of been talking around, looking at the layers of influence, looking at kind of the scales of readiness and looking at the kind of like the fit dynamic of what is happening in terms of the metric. So I think it very much aligns with what you're doing at Happy Signals, which is music to my ears, because that's exactly what, what we should be doing. We should be building, you know, technology and support systems that align both, align technology with the human, real human fundamental understanding of people and why they're doing. I think that we're starting to see this, this shift, this emergence away from the experience dynamic to kind of like behaviors, which is great because I think experience was one step on the journey towards making things really human centric. And if you really want to make things human centric, you really have to look at the behaviors that people are doing and what's influencing those behaviors. So we can therefore start to shift away from things like uh, creating things for delight to creating things for, did this actually help them achieve what they wanted them to achieve? You know, did this help them achieve their goals? Is this contributing positively to their life and what they want to do going forward over the next 10 years? So it, we're kind of starting to see that maturation um, in terms of what we're doing in products and in services and systems and businesses. And, and I'm, I'm all for it because we need a world that's very much people first. And I think this is another way that we can add to the language of getting towards, towards the kind of outcome. But um, yeah process efficiency yeah very interesting i i think i could go on forever with this it's been an absolute delight talking to you and i hope we can maybe host you on the podcast another time as well because i think that there's a lot a lot of things that we could learn from you and uh for the listeners of this podcast if they want to get uh, a little bit more familiar with the work that you're doing and you recently released an interesting set of uh, both physical cards and digital cards about uh, behavior patterns. So do you just want to say a couple of words about those and how people could find those and how they can get in touch with you if they want to uh, continue talking about behavior change with you? Yeah, so I, I tend to talk uh, through two main places on the internet. So one is BC Patterns, so bcpatterns.com. Um, it's where we can look at what are the patterns of changing behavior. So it's kind of like jump starting to the solution space of, okay, I've got a behavior to change. How would I go about doing that? I'm actually currently working on a new side of it, which is behavioral research patterns. How do we 
categorize understanding behavior in a way that is more like streamlined than the painful science will allow us to think. The other place is behaviorkit.com. So if you're a little bit more process oriented and you're a little bit more hungry for either the Miro kind of templates or kind of process PDF downloads that you can take into Teams, Behavior Kit is your home. It's where I've kind of like start publishing um, all the tools that I use with the clients. So all of the kind of stuff that I put in front of Teams and they go off and adapt and kind of bring the behavior thinking mindset and processes and methods into their workflow, that's where you'll find it on Behaviour Kit. So BC Patterns for the Patterns of Behaviour, Behaviour Kit for the Processes of Behaviour. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Lauren, for having joined us today. And uh, as we always say at the end of this podcast, we wish for all our listeners to stay happy and to stay safe. If you like this episode, giving the podcast a review helps others find this content as well. You can also visit our YouTube channel or our learning center at happysignals.com for some more video content. Join hundreds of like-minded IT professionals who have passed the free ITXM certification course on itxm.academy.